Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Can you feel it? Did it feel unsettling to just sit in silence for a moment? I wanted to begin that way today so that you could feel it. Because when I think about all the things that I'm routinely troubled about, this is one of them. I'm troubled, family, with our collective discomfort with complete silence. You could feel it. I talked to a few people after the first gathering, and they said it was like their skin was crawling. One young lady thought I was having a medical emergency because I didn't just go into the sermon. (laughs) That is how, listen, that is how intrusive silence is to our noisy world. And for those of us who've been groomed in Western society, well, silence itself is a terrifying proposition. And yet I believe that if we could somehow tame this monstrous amount of noise that we are absorbed in and absorbing on an everyday basis, I believe that we would. In fact, consider this. Have you ever known a person who seems completely unaffected by the chaos of our world? Unrattled in the midst of a moment that should be causing incredible anxiety. In fact, we could say it this way. Have you known a person who always seems to be a non-anxious presence in our highly anxious world? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I believe that We want to be those people. Deep down, you want to be that person. You want to be a person who is not rattled by the noise, not rattled by the pace, not rattled by the chaos, not thrown off your kilter every time something goes sideways. You want to be that person. But there's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is that we are hindered by the cacophony of sounds and information that we receive on a daily basis, as well as just the pace of the Western world. Did you know, in fact, that in 30 minutes, your first 30 minutes of your day, you are subject to access more information than your grandparents would have had in 30 years? And we're living under that. We're living under that. The amount of information that we have access to, the amount of sheer noise that inhabits our daily reality, listen, it robs us of the gift of just a bit of quiet. In fact, for me, it makes it feel like it's not a gift at all. 
And so all of us, to some degree, to one degree or another, we are trapped in this cooperatively built prison of noise and pace and chaos and franticness all the time. And this is wrong. Am I still allowed to say that in 2023? Something's just wrong. It's just wrong. Because this is not when God made you. This is not how he meant for you to live. And believe me, I understand. I'm not saying this from a position of judgment, but but from a position of invitation. I understand because for more years than I can count, I was held captive to three words. You ready? I have to. I have to. Even when I knew I needed to pull away from some quiet, even when I knew I needed to get away with the Lord, even when I knew that I needed a moment to just center and recalibrate, the I have to's consume the moments. I have to take this meeting or they might leave the church. I have to take this speaking opportunity or we're not going to make ends meet. I have to finish this, this project or, or we're not going to make budget this year. Those are just a few of the examples of the have-tos that I lived under. And living under that daily pressure, living under that daily stress after years of traveling two to three times a month and working 80 to 90 hours a week, I finally hit a wall. My weight ballooned up to over 300 pounds for the first time since I played in the NFL. And let me tell you, an NFL 300 is very different than a Popeye's 300. Let it you. That's the Popeye slogan. And I finally and completely burned out. Back in 2015, at the not so subtle nudging of my wife and some of our then elders, I took a month off from here, from everything. We left town. And if I have to be honest, and I hope that I always will be with you, the first 10 days of it were miserable. They were miserable, miserable to be in a place of non-productivity. Why? Because my body was so used to overproducing adrenaline to help me maintain my frantic pace that when I finally had nothing to do, it was like coming down off of drugs. And I crashed. I was irritable, unpredictable, not pleasant to be around. This all came from the exit interview I did with my family. I was (laughs) constantly complaining about being bored. And my driving was so aggressive, and I didn't know this about Hawaii. I don't have time to go into how we got there. But my driving was so aggressive that the locals would just pull off the road and let me go around. And they'd give me a little hang loose on the way by. It's okay, brother. Just... Let it go. And then somewhere around day 11, something snapped. A release of some kind happened. All of a sudden, everything in me calmed down. I relaxed. I breathed deeper. Listen, the air smelled sweeter. My patience lengthened. 
My driving slowed. My driving slowed so much that at one point my wife was nudging me in the car saying, hey, if you don't pick it up, we're not going to get there. And if you've ever ridden with me, you know how rare that is indeed. (laughs) Everything changed. And where we were staying was so far off the beaten path that we didn't have easy access to some of the many distractions that we enjoy in this world. And so my family and I had to enjoy novel things like conversation (laughs) and spontaneous laughter and an invitation to my children, my older two children, to ask me deep questions about myself so that they could know me as a human being and not just as dad. Long walks took over amusement. And Brianna and I connected on a deeper level, a deeper level than we ever have, strengthening our bonds and our marriage and making connections that we didn't realize would carry us through one of the darkest hours of our lives. Soon the idea of boredom completely faded, the need to produce completely faded, the adrenaline-fueled panic that I lived in completely faded. Listen, I became whole again. And I needed to withdraw to do so. Now, as I said already, I don't share this from a place of judgment, but from a place of invitation to say to you that there is a better way. And I know that several of you felt every word of what I just said because you're living it right now. You're living it right now. The have-tos control your life right now. Bless God. Don't take him out. Bring him in and let him shout. He's shouting better than them. You're grinding. You are building. You are pushing. You are surrounded by the clamor and sound of Western reality. You are running this pace in a very American way. Listen, and you are tired, stressed, overwhelmed. I won't say no names, but suddenly developing twitches. You know you need to withdraw, but the I have to's tell you it's impossible. Now, I believe that this is a many-layered challenge. I do. But if I have to zero in on the number one reason that we don't withdraw, you might want to write it down. It is this, that we believe if we stop producing, everything will fall apart. It's all going to fall apart. If we stop producing, if we stop moving, if we stop making, then everything will come undone. So we have to. I also believe there's a secondary challenge, and that is our deep fear of boredom. Can you sit at a stoplight without looking at your phone? These are just questions for you to ask yourself later. Can you stand in a line without checking your emails? Or death scrolling on social media? Can you sit in a Kaiser pharmacy for six hours waiting for one prescription and not call every person in your Rolodex just to avoid talking to the person you're sitting next to? Can you do that? Or is that fear of boredom 
so resolute that you've got to be doing something at all times. You see, family, we are preoccupied, hurried, distracted, adrenaline-fueled junkies hooked on Americana and digital death traps. And here's the deal. It's robbing us. It's robbing us of abundant life. It's robbing us of the ability to be fully present people, fully present to God, fully present to others, fully present to self, present to all the good and beautiful in this world. It is robbing us. In fact, one theologian put it this way. He said that we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I would add to his sentiment that we are allowing the have-tos to tear us away from the get-tos and, listen, the need-tos. And what we need more than anything, trying to navigate the pace and the pressure of our host culture is a regular rhythm of withdrawal with God. This is our greatest need to. And as we will see, even in the life of Jesus and his ministry, withdrawal with God is essential to a healthy soul. You can't do it without it. Withdrawal with God reminds us that it will not fall. Listen, look at me. It's not going to fall apart if you stop. You are not God. Now, if you do something irresponsible, that's a different matter. Like, oh, he said I ain't got to do it. <laughs> Catch you on the flippity-flop right now. This is a different matter. What I'm saying is that God is not expecting you to keep the world turning. And withdrawal with him is not going to make everything fall apart. It's actually quite the opposite. Withdrawal with God helps us be more fully present people to him and others. Listen, withdrawal with God heals our souls. So I want to look at the life of Jesus together. I'm going to go back. If you want to follow along with sermon notes, you can go ahead and hit that QR code there. And we're going to walk through this bit of text about him and about his life. Now, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, the former tax collector's gospel, we are actually invited to witness a glorious scene. Jesus is baptized. And at his baptism, the voice of God thunders from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, though this will be just a bit tangential, I am fully convinced that if we were fully convinced that God is well pleased in us for being and not for doing, then withdrawal with him would be a delight and not a duty. God is pleased with us not because of what we produce, but because we are his. And the moment we believe that, everything changes. Back to the story. The father renounces his affirmation of his son. And then immediately we read this. You can read it for yourself in Mark chapter 3. We read that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And he spent 40 days there alone. Now, scholars will tell you that the word desert in this passage does not necessarily mean sand, sun, and scorching heat. That's not what the word necessarily means. In fact, the range of the word in the Greek language, and the word is eremos, 
The range of the word in the Greek language has many meanings, including desert, deserted place, desolate place, lonely place, solitary place. Watch this, quiet place. Quiet place. So think about this. Jesus, upon being baptized, immediately withdraws to a quiet place, which is not exactly a great way to start a new thriving ministry. Can you imagine if a pastor got ordained on a Sunday and he was like, hey, man, I'm going to see y'all in 40 days. But that's exactly how Jesus started his ministry. And if you study the gospel records of his life and ministry, you will find that this was a common and seemingly necessary practice of Jesus. Over and over again, we find him retreating to the Eremos, which actually brings us to the passage that we're in today, if you want to follow along. Now, Mark's gospel record compared to the other gospel records is pretty fast-paced and action-packed. All right, it's one of my favorites. Mark, Mark is about that action, Okay. He only covers about 20 minutes of Jesus speaking and three weeks of Jesus' ministry. And his first chapter is essentially one long report on Jesus' first day on the job. And what we read there is Jesus' first day was a long day. It was a long day. Jesus got up early in the morning that day and called his first disciples. You can read that for yourself. He got up early and he said, okay, I want you, I want you, I want you. Uh, yeah, I'll take you too. And you, and you, and you. And then he went from there and he went to the synagogue to teach his first message and to upset a bunch of Jewish religious leaders. Then he cast a demon out of a guy who started yelling at him while he was preaching. Right? All of this happened in one day. Now, we talked about that back in January. If you want to go hear a message series on miracles and angels and demons and the supernatural aspects of this faith, I suggest that you do that because it's real. I also had a thought that, like, if somebody started tripping and I was like, be gone in the name of Jesus, I don't know what y'all would do. I'll fall out. So he cast a demon out of a guy who starts yelling at him while he's preaching. And then he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law while they were over at her house for lunch. Now, think about this. I just called this group of guys. Now I'm out here preaching. God starts yelling at me. I'm like, get out, devil. The devil's like, okay, I'm gone, right? And then I go over to get a little bit of lunch, and Simon Peter's mama's like, hey, since you're here, can you look at this? How many people are in a medical profession in here? I know we got a couple. How many times have you been somewhere where some random person's like, can you look at this? And you're like, I don't even do, I don't do moles, right? That's not my thing, right? Can you look at this? And then Jesus, being Jesus, heals this woman. And then Mark tells us that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. Okay, so close your eyes and imagine that. That a whole, what's a small city here? Cumberland is gathered around the door. Okay? Of one house. Because they know Jesus is in there. There's a word in that. And then he will meet them in their moment. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This was Jesus' first day on the job. 
And after a full day working hard as the evening approached, people pulled up at the door outside the house. More sick people needed to be healed. More possessed people needed to be delivered. More good news needed to be taught. And Jesus did it all to fulfill his calling. And you would think, based on the way that we live our rhythms, that after such a long day like that, that the next day Jesus would have slept in. Hit Waffle House. A light workout at 10. And then veg for the rest of the day. Because he worked hard yesterday. But he does just the opposite. He gets up and he does something remarkable. Before the sun rises, Mark tells us, which presumes he went to bed at a reasonable hour. Can I just move on from that? Go to bed, bruh. Like, just go to bed. This is, how, this is half my life is yelling at people to go to bed. In my house and out of my house. Go to bed. It was stand the reason you're tired because you're not sleeping. In fact, I'm going to give you something for free. It's called 3-2-1 rule. Okay? Three hours before bed, stop eating. Two hours before bed, stop drinking. One hour before bed, don't look at nothing else electronic. And I promise you, your sleep will change fundamentally. I promise you it will. Go to bed, bro. That's a freebie. Go to bed. Will y'all please go to bed? Will y'all just go to bed? <laughs> just go to bed. Your whole life will be different. I'll give you one more. Sleep deprivation is like being slightly inebriated at all times. So you low-key drunk at work and wonder why your performance report not good. Go to bed. <laughs> all right, I'm done. So Jesus went to bed. That should be a verse. Jesus went to bed. And then it tells us that he, he eases out of the house the next morning before anybody can count him missing. And he heads to the, you see that word? Eremos, that deserted place. Now let's consider this for a moment in the broader context. Jesus, according to Mark's gospel, is baptized and then he leaves for 40 days <laughs> to the Eremos. He returns for one day of incredible productivity and then immediately goes again to the Eremos to pray. I want you to try to put your mind around that for a second. Like modernize it. You get, you get a new job, your dream job, a job that you may or may not be fully qualified for. You're going to get paid good. This is at the center of your calling. And you show up day one and you grind. You grind it out. You knock it out. You do the best job anybody's ever done. And then that evening, you send an email to your boss and be like, hey, I'm going to take my first vacation day tomorrow. And I'm going to go pray. How do you think that will go? And yet that is what I'm actually pushing you toward. I mean, listen, societally, you got all the power right now. Like, oh, I can't get no Air Moss? I'll quiet quit. I'll quiet quit. This is what Jesus literally did. He went away to a deserted place. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus' friends woke up, and what did they do? They went looking for him. 
which is written to show itself as an intrusion. Okay? It's much like parents with children. Like when we need them, we can't find them, but they always seem to find us. Right? And it usually starts with snack (laughs) and whatever else comes after that. And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't change. Just so you know, that doesn't change. They come looking for Jesus. And they tell him, everybody's looking for you. Everybody's looking for you. Apparently, the expectation was that more miracles needed to happen. But watch this. Watch this conversation if you're looking in the text with me. You see, what the Eremos gave Jesus was incredible clarity. I don't have time to stay here long, but part of the reason you need to get away is so that you can get clear on what it is you're doing. If you're only doing and never being, then you'll never be fully clear on what you're actually doing. And so the disciples want more miracles. But Jesus, with extreme clarity, because of the time that he has spent in the Eremos, comes back and says, no, miracles are not on the menu today. I need to go and preach this word. It's not time for more miracles. It's not time for more healings at this moment. I need to go and preach. Listen, he knew precisely what he had to do next because he had spent time away from doing. What is God's will for my life, Pastor? I don't know. Have you slowed down long enough to ask him to get clarity in the quiet place? In fact, kind of a Cultural application here. Did you know that the top CEOs in the nation, they calendar one hour a day just to think? Did you know that? It's thinking time. And when I thought about that little note, I I thought to myself, imagine how powerful it would be, especially for those of us who are followers of the way of Jesus, if we calendared that one hour not just to think, but to commune with the Father. It would be fundamentally transforming for us. So what do we see? Jesus immediately establishes his rhythm of life. Did you hear it? Productivity in my calling. Withdrawal with my father. Productivity in my calling. And what do we do? Productivity, 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 productivity. Man, I'm tired. Vacation, halfway recharge, back to productivity. And that's not an abundant life. And Jesus wants for us what? An abundant life. But here's the deal. If you want the abundant life Jesus offers, you must adopt the life Jesus lived. You can't marry an abundant life to a Western life. You can't marry an abundant life to an American life. You can't. That, listen, this is off script. That is the fundamental friction you are feeling in your soul. Let me say it to you just like that. You know what Jesus promises. Your soul longs for what Jesus promises, but you are trying to live what Jesus promises in the container of our Western context. And it's not working. And so what do we do? We say, well, the the Jesus name must not be working. No, no, no. You're not working. 
You're not working. Because you're trying to bend Jesus to Americana rather than bending Americana to Jesus. I would love for my wife to work full time. No shade on anybody who, who has a double income. But count the cost. We did that. Ships passing in the night. Wondering why we're bickering all the time. Well, because we're spending 1.2 hours a week together total. Add it all up. What is it going to cost? To live a relatively comfortable life and raise children. Listen, and actually be married. No, the, the, the Western format says two people get a degree, two people get a job, two people work as hard as they can, two people make as much money as they can, they build as big of a house as they can, and then they divorce after 25 years because they don't know each other anymore. Sixty percent of the time. Or to quote the great movie, The Anchorman, 40% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> so we have an alternative. And it's the life of Jesus. And he didn't want it just for himself, but he wanted it for his friends. In fact, Mark tells us that there was a moment where the disciples had finally entered into their ministry. They were doing their thing. And they were feeding people and healing people and, and, and knocking it down left and right and doing it how they do it. And it says that so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Any, I forgot to eat people in here. Come on, be honest. There you go. You're doing too much. I know. I walked you right. I said, that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. It wasn't. But you, but you know me by now. Like most of y'all know me. You know you're being set up. Never raise your hand. Okay? Never. Never raise your hand. Right? If you are moving so fast that you don't remember to nourish your body, how are you going to remember to nourish your soul? That's all I'm saying, family. And you're talking to a type A, DI on the Myers-Briggs, right? Or DISC, INTJ, thank you, Enneagram 8. I am the get stuff done human being who is telling you that it didn't work for me. So here's the invitation. Come away with me, Jesus says. Come away with me to, you see that word again? The eremos. And get some rest. They didn't need a drink. They didn't need time to veg. They didn't need a spa day. And none of those things are wrong. Nobody enjoys a pedicure more than me. Okay? But none of those things are rest. Did you hear what I said? None of those things are wrong, but none of those things are rest. They're not rest for your soul. They can be incorporated into rest for your soul. But they are not rest for your soul. They are momentary and fleeting distractions from a pace we should not be running in the first place. Come away, Jesus says, to the Eremos so that you can get rest. In fact, if you read Dr. Luke's gospel, and I hope you would at some point in your life, he tells us Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When we get busy, we don't need to withdraw less. We need to withdraw more. God forbid we become famous and people demand our time and demand our presence. We don't need to withdraw less. We need to withdraw more. Martin Luther famously said, I have so many things to do today that I'm going to need to pray for three hours instead of two. However fast our pace is, we need to match it with the eremos. Not excuse not going there because of our pace. Last piece. I know I said don't raise your hand, but I just, I'm going to ask again. Anybody here ever walked on water? I like that answer. Anybody here ever fed 20,000 people from a can of sardines and a box of cornbread mix? The answer is no. Anybody here ever said, if you see me, you see the Father? So if he needed to get away, and he a whole God and man at the same time, if he needed to get away, how much more us? How much more us? How much more us? Now, maybe you're here and you're just investigating a relationship with Jesus, and I understand that. And so some of this direct conversation about who Jesus is and what he accomplished, maybe that's missing you, but I know it's not missing you. The reality of the world that we live in, the pace that you are keeping even right now, the collective exhaustion that is showing up in the highest levels of anxiety this country has ever seen. That's not missing you. The desire to have time for your soul to catch up with your body, that's not missing you. That's not missing you. And if you can be honest for just a second, I believe that there is something here that you sense is inviting and desirous about this way of life. The beautiful thing, the good news is that it is not a way of life that is earned. And the good news is that it is an invitation from your creator not to just be alone and lonely, but to be with him fully known and experiencing what it means to be fully human. That's the invitation before you today. And I hope it is one that you would take. You see, between the headlines and the long days and the short nights and the packed weekends, I hope Jesus' words come away with me would be music to your souls. Now, this practice of Jesus that we examine today has historically been called the spiritual rhythm or the spiritual practice, or for you hardcore Christians, uh, the spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude. Okay, Silence and solitude. Solitude is relatively straightforward, isn't it? It is when you are alone with God, alone with God. And listen, I need to be careful here because some of us are INTJs and we're loners automatically. I'm not talking about isolation. Isolation and solitude are not synonymous. Okay? Isolation and solitude are not synonymous. 
Isolation is escape. Solitude is embrace. Isolation is running from. Solitude is running to. Isolation is life taking. Solitude is life giving. Isolation is aloneness. Solitude is purposeful aloneness. There's a difference. And along with solitude, we invite silence. And silence is the invitation to quiet both external and internal noise. The great African theologian Augustine wrote, entering silence is entering joy. The reality is we live in a noisy, busy, clamoring world. And we need to learn how to embrace the quiet. Eliminating the external noise is easy. Turn off your phone. I'm not going to say no names. But I was with somebody recently and I said, you should turn your phone off. And they said, how do I turn my phone off? And I was like, wow, so this thing ain't been on since you bought it. That's incredibly telling about the rhythm of your life. Turn off your phone. Turn off the television. Turn off the television. Turn off the television. Turn off the radio. Turn it off. You got to be a real one to get that one. Teddy Pendergrass. Turn it off and eliminate the external noise. Internal silence, well, that's a different animal. But here's what I will tell you. You cannot eliminate internal noise until you eliminate external noise. Getting away into the eremos, away from the noise, is what allows you to then enter a purposeful process of decluttering your mind. Why do you think you have your best ideas in the shower? Some of y'all wrote your whole business plan in the shower. Why is that? Because it's the first time you slowed down long enough for your brain to catch up with the subconscious dreams that you have been dreaming. We don't actually have epiphanies. What we have is a moment slow enough for what has been churning to finally crystallize. So in order to quiet the internal noise, you've got to get away from the external noise. So what do we do? Well, I suggest this rhythm for everyone, but especially for those of you who run things or who lead people, okay? What do we do? We practice a rhythm of solitude. And my rhythm that has been so life-giving to me, I'm sharing with you. An hour a day of silence and solitude, an hour a day. I promise you it'll change your life. An hour a day of silence and solitude will change your life. One day per month, oh, now we're getting sticky, right? One whole day per month. And there's great places you can go to do this. Ignatius House up in the Northeast, uh, the Monastery of the Holy Spirit out in Conyers. These are places that will actually take you through guided silence retreats. One day, one whole day per month. Listen, if God's chicken can close down on Sunday and still lead the chicken game and the fast food game, you telling me you can't? No, you don't want to because you're addicted. Two days per quarter of silence and solitude. Two days per quarter. That means every three months. When you think about it, every three months, 
I'm going to take two days to recalibrate. We wouldn't even treat a vehicle like that. Not one we cared about. But this is the invitation. And then lastly, one week per year of silence and solitude. One week per year. And this is different than vacation. Okay. Now, you need a vacation. You need some fun in your life. Get a little fun in your life. Okay. But you also need some specific spiritual retreat. So go to your boss and tell them. You want me quiet quitting? No. Then I need one week to play and one week with the Lord. Do it. And if you get fired, we'll look for a new job for you. Because that's what the family of God does. <laughs> but truly, though, truly, though, if you can't take one week out of 52 to say, okay, I'm going to pull back from all of my busyness and chaos. And I'm going to check in with myself and with my God. What kind of life are we actually living? Now, that feels too intimidating. There's some bargaining to be done. (laughs) Maybe start with just the hour a day. And apply it this week. And pray for God to give you the desire and the ruthlessness to also get your two days per quarter. And then when you get those, or your one day per month rather, and then when you get that, start working towards your two days per quarter. And when you get that, start working towards your one week per year. But put yourself on a progression for the good of your soul and the joy of your God. What we take away from all of this, what, what, what the victory is for us is very clear. Withdrawal will save your soul. And I don't mean in the way like Jesus saves. What I mean is save you from being tattered and torn and not fully human and not fully present in the world that you're existing in. It'll save your soul. And the consequences, of course, are just as dire. If we do not withdraw, we'll never fully catch our breath. We'll never let our souls, we'll never actually catch up with our bodies. In fact, Henri Nouwen said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Now, here's what I imagine, and I'm going to speak boldly here. You came in here tired. Most of you are living without margin of any kind. And you've made choices that you feel trapped in. But you're not trapped. You're not trapped. Jesus has offered us a way out. And if we follow him out, two things will happen. Number one, we will become those people that we were talking about at the beginning, those aspirational identities. We will become that non-anxious person in the midst of a highly anxious world. That's number one. Number two, and more importantly than that, we will find the joy that is resonant in the peace and presence of our Father. And lastly, and not to be understated, we will paint a picture of life worth living to people who are far from Jesus. Listen, why would anybody far from God want to follow us into the rhythm of Western Christianity? 
So now I still got to do all of the crazy-ish that we do as a host culture and feel bad about it because of Jesus? I don't want that. You mean I still got to grind? I still got to stack? I still got to hustle? I still got to push? I still got to race? I still got to pace? And now I got to feel bad about it too? No, I'll pass. But what if we showed them something different? What if we showed them what abundant life looked like? Boy, we sure could really see the world awaken, couldn't we? And it would be a different world. And it would be one where the glory of the Lord is emanating in almost every corner of culture. And my hope is that we would long for nothing less. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that your word would be sealed to our hearts and that we would experience the fullness of joy that comes from your presence and from your power. We pray, Lord God, that your spirit would seal this word to our hearts and that because of it, we would be different. We would be made different. And that we would never be the same. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.